and welcome to another episode of Podcastles with me, Georgia, and my sister, Nikita. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year, Georgia. Happy New Year, indeed. How was your New Year? It was fantastic, and I think you know that because uh, Georgia organised a really good virtual murder mystery party for our family. So it was it was really good fun. We we often do them in person, don't we? And we couldn't this we year. So I thought we'd give it a go. It, it had a few technical difficulties, but we got there. We got there. We did. And the commitment was just as strong as usual. So I appreciated it. Yeah, our mum does some amazing accents and really yeah. puts characters into things. It was quite impressive. She goes for it. It was great. <laughs> it was good fun. I mean, no one's sad to see the back of 2020, are they? So Absolutely not. But sad that we couldn't all be together to celebrate yeah, it 2021. Was, it was. We had some fantastic fireworks here, though. Yes, well, you live in London very high up, so you get to see loads of different fireworks displays at once, which is quite cool. Yeah. What are you looking forward to for the coming year, Nick? Well, Georgia, I'm looking forward to podcasts. What an excellent segue. <laughs> what an excellent segue. It is, actually is um, the thing that I'm uh, really looking forward to. It's going to be fun to fun to do more of these with you. Absolutely. Well... New year, new county, as they say. As they say. <laughs> We've got Dorset to start on mm-hmm. today, haven't we? And you're going to tell me about two castles. I am. We're going to look at two castles. We're going to look at Highcliffe Castle and Portland Castle. So to kick this off, Georgia, we're going to do um same as we do with the little castles normally. Mm-hmm. We're going to look at uh, Portland Castle and then we're going to look at Highcliffe Castle with their histories and then we're going to go into the ghosts and skeletons that they might have in their cupboards and then we can decide which one we think is better or, or more influential. Okay where are we starting then? So we're going to start with Portland Castle because Portland Castle was built earlier. Uh, Henry VIII built Portland Castle actually. Himself? Himself brick <laughs> by brick. Henry VIII built uh Portland Castle between 1539 and 1541, basically to defend against the uh, potential attacks from Holy Roman Empire and France. Um, they'd made an they'd made an alliance by this point. That is not two people that you want two countries that you want to have an alliance against. You really do you? not not really. And I think during this period, and you would possibly know better than me, Georgia. So correct me if I'm wrong. But I think during this period was it was basically a a, a long a long succession of different alliances between. England, France, and the Holy Roman Empire against one of the others. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Holy Roman Emperor is basically one of the strongest people on the earth at this point. Well, at least that we knew of in the in the West. Yeah, true. In so the tensions this time were a lot to do with Henry's break with Rome. Yeah. So Henry wanted to marry Anne Boleyn, but was married to Catherine of Aragon, who was Spanish. The Pope said, you can't annul this wedding. You were married to Catherine. And Henry said, well, that doesn't really work for me. So he went a little bit extra and created his own church. Mm. So he didn't have to answer to the Pope anymore, which obviously rather annoyed the Pope. Slightly annoyed the Pope. And of course, Catherine of Aragon's nephew is the Holy Roman Emperor. What an error. um, What an error. Yeah, I mean, that is a very simplified history of the Reformation. There's so many more points to that story, but... Long story short, Holy Roman Empire and France had allied against England because of the break with Rome. Now, Henry, no longer the defender of the Catholic faith, is the defender of his own ability to annul marriages. And the Holy Roman Empire and France are not happy about this. But in 1558... 
peace was declared and the castle, well, it just wasn't cared about, I think. Basically, it's not really needed, so they don't really put any money into looking after it. It's actually one of, it was one of Henry VIII's smallest artillery forts. Okay. So it's it's pretty tiny. It's also on the coast in a good position. It's not just on the, it's not a sand castle. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, at his point, it was a walled courtyard. So it had uh, three tiers of artillery and a moat. Then in 1584 to 86, when obviously you would know, Georgia, we thought the Armada was coming for England. Well, it was. Which it was to be fair. <laughs> they did some repairs. They thought... Might need this again now. Better use this as a defence point. Mm, that's interesting. Do you want to guess how much they spent on repairs? A thousand pounds. That's quite a lot back then. Yeah, it wasn't that much. It wasn't that much. Okay, what about 200? Close. It was 228 pounds. And how much is that in real today's money? Shall I get the converter out? Yeah, I think you should, because I haven't actually converted that. All right. Ye oldie money to modern money, £228 in 1584 is now £96,000, 716 and 30p. That's not as much as we've seen in the past. How much did they spend on Blenheim again? It was, like, extortionate. Well, it was only a, it was only a little castle. The next big event we're going to have with this castle, Georgia, is in uh, 1642, because we're going to go to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. But in between that, I just want to say that in uh, 1592, Sir Walter Riley was made captain of the castle. Mm. Never lives there, but... Important figure under Elizabeth. Uh-huh, and he's important for, for later on in the, in the episode. Ooh. I was a really big fan of Walter Riley as a kid. <laughs> I'm not sure why, actually, looking back logically, he's not a fantastic figure. Um, but I think there was a book by Michael Mapergo about Walter Riley as a ghost. And he comes to meet a child. He, he becomes friends with a child and they go around London together. So moving on to the English Civil War. Uh, in 1642, it was actually the parliamentary forces who controlled the castle. But in uh, 1643, the, the royalists took control of it. Okay. Do you want to know how they took control of it, Georgia? I do. I feel like it's a good story. It's our favourite way of taking a castle. Siege? No. Catapult a child over the wall. <laughs> walk in, just walk in and say we're going to have it now. They do that sometimes. Yes. Actually. <laughs> yep, third time lucky. Uh, they they got in by pretending, to, they, they walked in pretending to be parliamentary soldiers. Amazing. I just love it. Fake it till you make it, hey? You just well, do anything with confidence and you'll get away with it. Yes, much like this podcast. <laughs> so the parliament, the parliament's actually... Uh, they they tried to siege it to get it back. Yeah. And uh, they couldn't regain it. No, because sieging is not as effective as fancy dress. Nope. And uh, they actually didn't get the castle back until the royalists surrendered it in mm. 1646, which was the end of the first part of the English Civil War. Right, so the siege didn't work, just, you know, winning the battle elsewhere worked. Yes. Right. Yeah. After the English Civil War, it was actually used as a prison for major royalist supporters so like your nobles and your lords and you know things like that oh right okay because you're obviously still going to have royalist supporters even though charles has been beheaded uh then we're going to move forward to another war we're going to go to the anglo-dutch war oh okay we haven't talked about this as much 
We've never talked about the Anglo-Dutch War, I don't think, which is 1652 to 54. Well, this is the bit we're looking at anyway. Can you tell us a little bit about this war? I don't know much about it and we haven't looked at it before. So the Anglo-Dutch the Anglo -Dutch War was... There were several Anglo-Dutch Wars. The ones in sort of this period, in the 1600s, were... They're, they're all sea battles. They are to do with trade that's being used in that war. And then it, it gets a little fund, a little pick-me-up money. Uh, in 1660, because it was uh, loyal to the royalist cause yeah. during the war. So Charles II's like, thanks for supporting us. There's not a lot to really say about the castle then until the 1800s. Okay. So, and that then is another war, Georgia. Ooh, so it's very much a war military castle then. It is still used for what, it's, what it was designed for, yeah. So mm. I don't know if you know what wars these are, because I know this is actually pretty outside of what you used to study and it's not something we've raised on the podcast before so do you want to guess or should i just tell you it's 1803 what was happening around that time in revolutions Europe? yeah yeah so it's the napoleonic wars ah quite proud of myself i have never studied the napoleonic wars though it gets rearmed for the napoleonic wars in case napoleon comes for us because he's he's being a bit prolific with his attacks on the continent but there's not really much to, to say about it because um, he doesn't come to England. So in the 1820s, it then turns into a private residence of a reverend. Okay. Uh, and then it goes to his son. And then it goes back to the war office. So that's kind of it, really, for the history. In terms of the world wars, it, it's, it's used for ordnance and then some other bits. But that's kind of it. So that's really the history of, of Portland Castle. Amazing. A lot of quickly trying to tidy up so that it's ready for battle. Like when you suddenly hear mum and dad are coming and you're like, quick, tidy. Tidy my room. Yeah, that kind of style. If that ends that one, should we move on to the next one? To Highcliffe Castle. Yeah, we should move on to Highcliffe Castle. And this is actually incredibly different in history. Okay. The castle that you can see today was built between 1831 and 1836 by Lord Stuart de Rothsay, who was grandson of the third Earl of Butte. It was his family home. He was a diplomat to France, so he was in Paris for a while. After the Napoleonic Wars ended, and he was tasked with finding the embassy. So he picked where the, the embassy was going to be, and that's still the British embassy in Paris today. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. The castle, it's built in what is called a romantic and picturesque architecture style which is similar to the picturesque art style. It's, it's sort of a reaction against neoclassicism. The castle itself has got Gothic revival features. It's got beautiful Norman stonemasonry. He, he gets a lot of stuff shipped in from France to, get it, to mm. get it completed. Sounds expensive. Yeah. So there's some beautiful medieval stained glass windows. So it actually looks much older than it is, apparently. So it's, it's very beautiful, but it's not in a particularly warry way. It, yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not built for anything other than mm. really being a family home. That'll be really interesting when we get to the influence section because these are two castles with very different purposes in mind when built. Yeah. So, so instead, I think we should talk about the people who lived there mm. because there's some interesting people and some interesting visitors. Okay. So obviously we've we've mentioned Lord Stuart de Rothsay and his involvement with diplomacy and his 
influence over where the British embassy was in Paris. He he went to Russia for a bit. Yeah. Um, he built this. He's actually got two girls. So his daughters are actually really interesting. One's called Charlotte, one's called Louisa. They were both painters. Okay. I've had a look at some of their paintings. They're beautiful, beautiful painting. So like watercolours and things like that. Uh, Louisa was apparently a pre-Raphaelite watercolorist, and her her paintings are beautiful. Um, there's a lot of art and architectural art phrases coming up in this, and I feel like I need to say, Georgia, full disclosure, I have no idea what these things mean. Yeah, I um, I know nothing about art. I'll be honest. I know what Raphaelite is, but I'm not really sure about pre-Raphaelite. But it's so they're beautiful paintings, and her, her sister Charlotte was actually a lady-in-waiting to Queen Victoria mm. and was actually one of her sketching companions. Oh, Which is nice. I didn't know she had sketching companions. That's very sweet. Possibly a more full-time role than pushing her around on a sledge. Yes. Well, I was <laughs> going to say, you, you didn't consider she'd have a sketching companion, but given that she had a person to push her around on a sledge, I think it's not surprising. I think the sketching companion is slightly more usual. In terms of like in terms of Charlotte's life, just to give her a bit of background, because I think she's quite an interesting character, she actually married a man who became the Governor General of India. And she went to live in, in India and did some paintings out there. And uh, I think she modelled some of the gardens that she had on, on her parents' house at Highcliffe. Um, I can link to the the articles that I found on that and in the on the blog. And unfortunately she died of jungle fever oh. in uh, at 41 years old in India. So there's that, but she was apparently a, a, an amazing artist. I've seen some of her stuff. It looks great. Louisa uh, was Lady Waterford by marriage. Okay. And she actually, once her father dies, it goes to her mother. Her mother keeps the castle and then she gets the castle. Okay. And so she looks after the castle after her mum her mom dies in... 1867 then once she dies she hasn't got any children so it goes to one of her cousins and he he then keeps it in his family until about 1950 i just thought they were quite interesting characters there's a really interesting book that was written which is quite an old book but it's got some compilations of the letters that they wrote their dad whilst he was a diplomat the castle mm. itself um, before we move on any further there was actually because it's got a beach because it's that close to the sea in Dorset. And the, at the time, the forest that's there came down to the sea. Apparently, there were stories of smugglers using it. I can imagine that's a very well-hidden little tiny beach that people can uh, bring illegal goods on. Yeah, but, and that's, that's something that I read in, in this book with the letters, which I thought was quite mm, interesting. Very. Um, but anyway, even though it's a family home, it's not actually in his family the whole time. Okay. So they actually, they rent it out to a man called Harry Gordon Selfridge. Ooh. From 1916 to 1922. And Harry Selfridge, for anybody who isn't aware, actually started the department store Selfridges in London. Mm. There's a very good ITV TV show uh, called Mr. Selfridge. It's excellent. Strongly recommend. <laughs> it's, I'm not entirely sure it's particularly accurate. But it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, so Selfridges opened in March, uh, on the 15th of March in 1909. So he rents Highcliffe after that. Mm -hmm. But it was the biggest department store in the in the West End. Selfridge was 51 at this point. He's he's from 
America. He, he'd come over in, in 1906. He's born in Wisconsin, actually. And he worked at this massively successful department store in the US. Mm. And he works his way up from junior clerk. And then he leaves it in, 18, in 1904 because he travels a lot for work and he goes to London and he comes back and says to their other partners, he's like, we should expand to London. And they say, no. <laughs> so he quits and decides to open his own. Selfridges, interestingly, actually opened with 12,000 employees, apparently. Wow. Yeah. But anyway, so that's just a bit of background on, on Selfridge because I thought that was quite interesting. Um, after after Selfridge, obviously, it's still a family home, but then it gets it gets sold uh, to become a kid, uh, children's convalescence, convalescent place oh, in, okay. in 1949. And then it uh, becomes a, a missionary congregation place from 53. It They're trying, it gets... It, it's almost sold off to some developers, I think. In the late 60s, there's actually a couple of huge fires there. And they basically gut the place, the fires. Oh, no. Which stops that going through. And it's it's kind of left, as a lot of these castles are, it's kind of left right. to, I don't know, rot. Um, but later on, uh, the Christchurch Council, which is where the castle is, they bought it and opened up the grounds. And it's ever since then, it's been sort of worked on and... and brought back to life they did that they they purchased it for the queen's jubilee one of the queen's jubilee i think the silver one so uh it was it was kind of revitalized for for that purpose but that that really is the end of the history of highcliff georgia so now we just move on to the uh the ghosts and skeletons in in the in the cupboards so we're gonna we're gonna do it in the same order we're gonna do portland and then we'll do highcliff Okay. I mean, first of all, I think, and I know we've mentioned this, but I just think we ought to talk about the fact that Portland Castle was built because Henry had to defend England against the Holy Roman Empire in France because he decided to split with Rome. Yes. Which I think is the biggest... One of the biggest scandals in English history, really. Yeah, like it's it's huge. And it's not just that he's broken with the church and that he's decided to become his own head of, head of church and state, which means mm. a lot politically. But also he has done this to divorce one woman and marry someone else. And that's immensely scandalous at the time as well. But then you've got the fact that Catherine was so popular. Catherine of Aragon was universally loved by the people and she'd been married to his older brother and he'd died before becoming... Arthur died before coming, becoming king, which is why we got Henry VIII. And that was how he was divorcing her, by saying that he shouldn't have married mm. his brother's wife and it was a like a cursed marriage. It was- an illegitimate marriage, yeah. Yeah, and so that was why God God was punishing him and that's why he'd not had any sons. Um, and so you've got this whole, on top of all of that, you've also got this layer of what the nature of that marriage was with Catherine of Aragon and Arthur, like, was it consummated, all of these things. I thought that was something that was worth raising. I mean, there's, there's not a lot more for scandal at the castle. You could say that it was. it's a bit funny that the royalists managed to dress up as parliamentarians and just walk in and take it. <laughs> But I think really the fact that the embodiment yeah. of why it's there is is I mean it's not really a hidden ghost and skeleton that is no ghost and skeletons is a very broad term that we use just for any sort of gossip really isn't it yeah I think it's it's quite good tea 
um, which is a massive... Uh, that's, I mean, if we thought we were understating the enormity of, of the break with Rome at the start, I think that's trampled over that. Yeah. But it's... It, I just thought that was interesting. Moving on to the other thing that is tangentially related, but I thought I'd bring it up anyway, is Walter Riley. Mm-hmm. Because he was a quite... I think he was quite a controversial figure anyway. Yeah. He was put in charge of the castle under Elizabeth, but it's under James the first of and the first and sixth that it really becomes um literally a ghost because he is involved well he's supposedly involved in a plot to remove james from the throne and put his cousin arabella stewart on the throne Mm. this is interesting because i've never looked at walter riley anything beyond elizabeth so i literally knew nothing about this whereas i love james so it's it's really interesting so it's called the main plot and there's a lot of debate as to whether he was actually involved at all. There's some really good articles, actually. I'll, I'll dig them out that I, I read at uni and I'll, I'll um, link to them. But he was actually condemned to death for his supposed involved in the main plot. And it's actually, it's then commuted to prison. Mm. And so he's in prison for 13 years. He's allowed out because he's an explorer. Right. So he goes, he goes on a voyage. He's told that his condition of being let out... Right is that there's no violence on this trip. But that goes well. His son is actually shot. Ah. Yeah, he refuses to forgive someone, and it's a little bit confusing as to what's going on, and I think it's possibly fair enough that I'm confused, because when he gets home, the Spanish ambassador's like, he's got to die. Why? And James says, all right. So Walter Riley gets beheaded, and... We don't really know it's what happened. No, and I was always... I thought I was just being biased thinking he should be beheaded, but I think a lot of people think he shouldn't have been beheaded. It seems like a bit of a random... He, he felt like he... I think James didn't think he had a choice because of the relationship with Spain and everything like that, so... But what what did he do to offend the Spanish so much? Well, ex, he was exploring in South America. Right, so probably stepping on some toes. Yeah, and the violence involved and you know all this these conditions and stuff so i think the spanish were like he needs to go but his wife was given his head in a bag oh nice yeah embalmed what and a lovely present when i when i remembered that when i was reading about it all i could think of was like that scene with sansa stark in game of thrones where she sees those she, those heads on spikes it's got to be pretty traumatic mm. so it was an embalm they embalmed it which is, I guess, um, I'm not going to say nice of them. I don't really know what that means. Oh, well, I think it just protects it from rotting. Right, lovely, great. Gift wrapped. <laughs> yeah, they gift wrapped his head. And apparently she carried around his embalmed head in a bag for the rest of her life, which is both really sad and really gross. Romantic or creepy? <laughs> That's really sad. She yeah. lived a long time after his death. That's horrible. Yeah. But then obviously he comes back as a ghost and talks to obviously. a child who moves into his family house. Right. In that famous biography by... What, uh, what's his name? Michael Mapergo. I'm guessing that's not a biography. Uh, absolutely not, but it is a fantastic <laughs> children's book, which I loved dearly. I have never read that. I kind of want to read it now. See, I think it might have been your book and you didn't want to read it, so I read it. I want to read it now. Give it back. They're in the loft. Mm, okay. Might dig them out. Uh, yeah, so that's that's really the, the ghosts and skeletons of, of Walter Riley that mm. I mean, probably don't haunt Portland because I don't think he actually ever went there, but he was captain, so tenuously linked. 
Then we're going to move on to Highcliffe Castle, Georgia, because they're really the mm. only Portland Castle uh, skeletons that I could uncover. And there are a couple of a couple of good good skeletons in in the uh, in the Highcliffe Castle cupboard. Okay. So the first one, which I came across, is about Kaiser Wilhelm. Wilhelm. Okay. Who, for anybody unfamiliar with sort of World War One history, is was the king of Germany who started World War One. Was involved in starting World War One. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's a lot of factors starting World War One, but he's the invader. He actually stayed at Highcliffe Castle. Okay. Um, he spent some time there, I think, in 1907 uh, for a really short stay. But he was involved in something called the Daily Telegraph. Effect. Okay. The Daily Telegraph is a newspaper in, in the UK. And the Daily Telegraph affair was his... He was having some conversations with the owner of Highcliffe Castle. And these these conversations got into the press. Okay. And they were to do with the relationship, I think, between Great Britain and Germany. They had a lot of negative impacts in terms of sentiment about Germany in, in England. And then it also, I think, from the article I was reading, sounded like it was weakening the position in Germany for the Kaiser as well. And okay. so these these came out and it was just politically a bit of a disaster. So mm. that was that was one scandal, which I thought was really interesting because I've never heard of that at all. So and then the next one, which is again, quite tenuous, is about Harry Selfridge because he actually, Mm. he died in London of pneumonia in in 1947, but he, and he was kicked out of the Selfridge group, or the Selfridge name, he was, he was... Despite being a Selfridge. (laughs) Yeah, despite being the Selfridge, he was, he was kicked out um, in 41, and he actually did a lot of gambling, and was involved in a lot of casinoing. Yeah. And... He liked expensive women. He had a bit of a downward spiral, didn't he? Mm, he had a really downward spiral, um, especially really after his wife dies. Since like a French dancer and and things like that. And he actually dies pretty penniless. But he's buried in the graveyard opposite Highcliffe, which is next to his wife. Aww. His wife dies. I think his wife dies whilst they live there because it, she dies in 1918. And I, they're there right. until 1922. Right. Um, she dies of influenza. So, yeah, I mean, that's not really... That's a ghost rather than a skeleton, I think. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that brings us to the end of the ghost and skeleton section, Georgia. Very interesting. So I'd just love to hear your thoughts on their influence. So I have kind of made up my mind over the course of researching these castles, Georgia, but I'd love to hear what you think, because mm. really, besides the Kaiser Wilhelm thing... Highcliffe to me doesn't seem particularly influential. No, I mean... It's beautiful. I'd love to visit. But I would say Portland Castle is... I mean, it never re- it never sees any battles besides in the English Civil War, but I think... No. I think in general what it represents is, is much bigger. Yeah, I have to say neither of them have been as important as some of the ones we've looked at in the past. However, from our definition of influential and important that we've sort of discussed before... I mean, we definitely seem to value, you know, the battley ones more, the ones that kings and queens and high nobility used for key moments in history have to be seen as more important, really, don't they? Yeah. The fact that Portland was built and then subsequently 
reinforced every time there was a battle coming suggests that whilst it never needed to be used, if those battles had happened the way they were expecting, that castle would have been really important. And so it was clearly considered a necessity, whereas Highcliffe was never intended for war and fighting. So by the standards that we normally judge influence and importance by, I just don't think there's really any competition. Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those moments, again, where with Highcliffe, it's the people, not the place, that is influential. Mm. And, and a lot of the times, with other castles, like with Blenheim and things like that, you can see the influence of the person reflected in the castle and the palace. Yeah. But with Portland, it is the place that is important. Yeah. None of the people in it, are actually particularly... There There are some names that crop up, but they're not people with huge biographies and besides Walter Riley with, like, huge influence. Um, it's really the place. And clearly it's useful. That's very interesting, actually, yeah. Normally we judge the importance by saying, well, the king lived there and the king did the or made these important decisions here or something like that. But for once, we're actually saying, no, the castle, the structure itself is what is important this time. Yeah, and, and that's not mm. to take away from the people who manned it because... That's obviously really important too. But I think the fact that it fell into disrepair and no one really bothered using it until the wars came around and then they'd they'd spend a reasonable amount of money fixing it up so they could defend, clearly that had one specific purpose. Yeah. And given that the parliamentarians besieged it and couldn't get back in once they'd <laughs> allowed the royalists to come in, I think that shows that at least on some level it, it did its job. Absolutely, yeah. It could withstand. Maybe the Holy Roman Emperor didn't come because he was like, oh, no, they've built <laughs> they've built that castle. <laughs> Do you know what? Back up, back up, I can see Portland. <laughs> <laughs> Paddle backwards. Paddle backwards. <laughs> I'm now imagining the Holy Roman Emperor and like three other people just in a little tiny rowing boat being like, go back, go back. <laughs> Um, so I think we're possibly on the same page with the castles. Interesting. So they're both still standing, I believe. How can we How can we visit? Well, currently, due to lockdowns, yes. you cannot. <laughs> we're becoming... We're sounding a little bit like a broken record every episode. A little bit of a broken record. However, mm. Portland is owned by the English Heritage, so you can find it on their website. I think it's March you can go there. Um but obviously, I think with dates, I think it's not really worth giving dates. No, I think check out the websites. Because none of us know. Yeah. So check out the website. Portland Portland is on the English Heritage website. Highcliffe has its own website. Uh, and you can go and check that out for, for more information. Question, is it on a really high cliff? I don't I don't know how, how high the cliff is there, but it's certainly on a cliff. It's in a it's it's not a particularly great location for a castle, I don't think. The first building that was there, I think, got a lot of mm. like erosion. There was something in one of those books that I read that said that what like the cliff next to it did keep sort of there was a lot of like landslides and the the gardener or the groundskeeper kept having to go and <laughs> try and fix it so that the owner didn't see. So yeah, I think they were they both look beautiful and they both have a beautiful land around them. Dorset's just gorgeous so mm. i highly recommend everyone go visit when when we're allowed we'll have to go on a massive road trip once we can and we can just go to all of these places georgia just do them all in one one go yeah i mean that might be quite a lot um <laughs> so yeah that's that's it georgia amazing 
Well, that is a great start to Dorset. Mm -hmm. We've got more Dorset castles coming over the next few weeks, of course. Yep. So make sure to subscribe so you get notified when they come. And if you've got a moment, it would be great if you could uh, review us as well. Give us a little review, let us know what you think. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, and if you have any different opinions about influence, importance, or you just want to say hi, let us know what you thought of the podcast, get in touch. You can email us at podcastlespodcast at gmail.com or you can go to any of our social medias which are we're on Twitter Instagram and Facebook and you can find us at podcastles and you can also go to our website and check out the blog which will have all of the lovely sources where you can read more if you want to on podcastles.co.uk and we will see you next week for another Dorset Castle see you later Georgia Bye. Bye.